Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com. And today's guest is longtime live tournament crusher, Shannon Shore. Shannon has over $8 million in live tournament caches in his 15-year career, with some career highlights including... 960k and 247k victories at the Bellagio Cup in Vegas, a bronze medal in one of the toughest and most prestigious tournament fields in poker, the 10k WSOP six-handed event, and a fifth place finish at the WPT 25k five-diamond classic for a cool $408,000. Shannon and I, despite never having met one another before this show, but having a ton of mutual friends, including former Chasing Poker Greatness guests Jesse Yaganuma and Jonathan Little, hit it off right away, and I had a blast in our time together. In today's episode, you'll learn how Shannon kicked off his poker journey, an all-too-common pitfall of the poker scene Shannon has dealt with that is simply not talked about often enough, how Shannon manages to stay grounded and connected on a day-to-day basis. Hint, it involves having an awesome significant other who always has your back, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the GPI-ranked number 19 tournament player in the world, Shannon Shore. Shannon. Welcome to the show, sir. How are we doing? Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How's life for the live poker grinder? Uh, it's good. It's different. Uh, changing it up, playing online. This is something I haven't done seriously. I mean, for, except for like in very small increments at a time in probably a decade. So uh, it's, it's cool getting back in and I'm enjoying myself, enjoying the challenges. Any rust you've had to knock off jumping back into the online streets? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. It's uh, the game has definitely just evolved so quickly, and I just like haven't spent as much time working with programs as as I would like. So I mean, it's just a constant. uh, I'm not quite where I want to be yet, but I'm confident I will be in not too long, hopefully. That's good, right? It's it's like you've been involved. You've been in poker for as long as I have. What year did you start playing poker, like in earnest as a pro? In 2006. 2006. Yeah. So 14 years into your career, you're still not where you want to be, which (laughs) is, uh, you know, it's a poker is a complex game. We're always learning. We're always growing. Tell me the story of how you got into playing cards for a living. Uh, I got into poker in 2003 in college, right about the time when moneymaker stuff was going on, started playing in house games with, uh, with friends at the university of Alabama. And we'd seemingly play those $5 games like every night. It was either either that or party or both at the same time. And uh, that from there, I started playing online uh, eventually after I was able to take my friends for some money. And uh, I was quickly humbled, 
I lost a few thousand dollars as a college student doing that. Um, and then I met uh, John Little actually at the tables at Party Poker. And he was like probably six months ahead of me. And uh, he just gave, we started talking all the time. And I like just completely like shifted the way I, I looked at the game. And it just kind of like took off online. Which is, uh, it's, it's funny because I remember those Party Poker days in the chat because I, I actually, me and Vanessa Selbst became friends through the chat of party <laughs> poker just talking and like sharing our aim information right <laughs> it's like oh yeah let's, let's talk and that was kind of how it was like back in the glory days yeah as far as like you know skill level like when you first started i've read you know your aggressive naturally natural tendency was probably geared towards aggression how mm-hmm. helpful do you think that was early on in your career that was everything early on, honestly. I mean, I, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. Like, I don't, no, no one did really, I don't think. But uh, I would just like completely, I was 21, 20, 19 even at some, at some point. So I had like absolutely nothing to lose. So I was just going <laughs> absolutely bananas. And just that, by just doing that, I put myself in like back in 06 through 08. There were just so many tournaments to be won uh, just by doing that. Why do you think you you tended to be more aggressive than the field? Like, is this your nature? How do you think that happened? That's a good question. Yeah, I've always been like very uh, sort of adventurous and like willing to go for it and things and like giving it my all uh, in whatever it was. So yeah, maybe I maybe that just lended to uh, just going for it. Kind of I, maybe I sensed that that was the way to win. I also like loved playing games and competing. I was also like a lifelong athlete as a kid so i just uh i think i was pretty good at like picking up on kind of what to do and how to adjust uh, pretty quickly and obviously you can't just be you can't win through sheer aggression forever right uh Mm. any bumps in the road early on in your career speaking of getting humbled even maybe after you had had some success yeah most definitely um through i guess like 2006 so like maybe 2009, that was like the years of like crazy aggression. And then there was definitely like a new breed of sort of, uh, by that point, at that point I was like barely playing on in 09. I think I wasn't playing much online, but then there were like a lot of younger guys playing online that knew how to exploit that. And that just by, by three betting, <laughs> like I was never getting three bet in like 06, 07. And then, so I went through a, a, like an adjustment phase from probably like 2009 to 2011, where I just like had to realize that I had to slow down kind of. How do you go through that adjustment phase? Because I, you know, this happens multiple times throughout poker players career. You are doing something that's doing very well. The population catches up. We need to adjust. Um, what does that adjustment phase look like for you? Uh, for me, it was just uh, talking with friends and sort of uh, being, you know, being humbled and uh, losing buy-ins, especially playing live and like almost exclusive exclusively played live for like several years so like the swings in those and and on my own dime so like the swings in uh, those tournaments are like it can do some stuff to you it's put me through a lot but um yeah just talking with friends and trying to uh you know make adjustments and uh yeah i guess that's how i that's what i did kind of it's really hard with live like poker poker messes with your mind anyway um, mm. as far as, you know, you can do the right thing 10 times and you still 
go broke 10 times. And like, you start wondering like, am I doing the right thing? Do I need to change? Do I need to adapt? Like, how do you go about making these adjustments live when you don't have a database, you don't have anything to fall back on? Yeah, there's not, there's honestly not a whole lot you can, you can do. It's mostly, uh, there's so much variance, obviously. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, and yeah, like you said, it just, what it does to you, the human brain is definitely not designed to be uh, just like dealing with the swings of live tournaments. Not to mention like travel planning and other stressors that like kind of go along with it. Jet lag. Uh, exactly. But that said, I wouldn't trade any of it. It has been like the most amazing experience. I, I was drawn to live because you could like, I really wanted to travel the world. Like as soon as I like had my first few banks and like was in a really good place financially, like I knew that I, it was just all about like going to see as much of the world and like meeting as many people as I could. So yeah, there was that there's like the trade-off that I didn't get to work like super hard on my career and get to like elite, elite level of like some of these guys. But uh, at the same time, I've like had such a wealth of life experience that I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. I mean, I've said it many times on this podcast, my, my fondest memories of living at the commerce casino are not, they, they, they were never the biggest pots that I won or the best days that I had. They were, you know, hanging out with like Mike Katz, Jesse Yaganuma, <laughs> playing basketball and the commerce basketball court, which most people don't even realize exists, but it does. Uh, I did not know that existed. Where's that? It's like in the back parking lot, <laughs> like in the edge back of the back parking lot, there's a tennis court <laughs> and just put like two basketball goals on there. And like me, uh, you know, Mike, Billy or uh, DGAF, just, you know, all the commerce regs basically get together. <laughs> they, they actually joined a basketball league at one point, which I, I definitely wanted to see footage of <laughs> a bunch of pro poker players playing in a basketball league. <laughs> but that's great. Yeah, those are those are my favorite times, like the experiences, the friendships, the bonding. You're, you're from the South, like me. So I'm from Tennessee. You're from okay. Alabama. What did your family, what did your friends think when you decided to pursue poker as a career? I'm super fortunate uh, to have like two really open-minded uh, parents who have uh, both done a bunch of traveling. My dad's originally from uh, Ohio and went to uh, went to West Point as a gymnast. So he's, he's like very uh, well-traveled. My mom uh, was in the military as well. So they, they'd like gotten out and like had a lot of open-mindedness about them um, that like a lot of people might otherwise not in different parts, you know, that part of the country and Midwest, et cetera. Lots um, of places, really. Y- yeah, right. So they were, yeah, all super supportive and just like made it. I never had to worry. Uh, I've said this in a lot of other interviews, but like I can't imagine having to battle that, like battle the grind of poker and battle. Like if you had to battle your disapproving uh friends and parents and family so yeah i I, thankfully it was like a super smooth uh, transition to playing poker professionally yeah it's really invaluable because like we just talked about before you know those doubts that creep into your mind can i do this am i good enough it like is this going to work out am i just you know did i just get lucky in the beginning and now i'm just going to burn through every single bit of money that i have earned down to zero and be you know because poker players like I think a lot of professions, but poker players especially start wrapping their identity in being a poker player and what the size Mm -hmm. of their bankroll is and their level of success. And so that fear of busting out, going broke, 
is very, very tangible, very, very real. And if you have doubters in that are in your inner circle, your friends, your family, it just amplifies all of those doubts and all of those worries. Agree completely. Have you had, have you had any experience with that? Like anybody doubting, questioning what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, you hear comments from people, uh, that I think really is just like comes from a bit of like insecurity in, in themselves. I know whenever I like doubt someone's life choices, I always recognize it after the fact as insecurities in myself. But yeah, people will like make comments or stuff like, uh, oh, you wouldn't know a hard day's work. <laughs> like a lot of people, <laughs> like a lot of people don't get, uh, you know, what actually goes in to this career. Kind of. So yeah, I've dealt with, I'm sure everybody's uh, dealt with that as all poker players have dealt with that uh, to some degree, I guess. Tell me, <clears throat> you mentioned something that's pretty cool to me. You have awareness of where these feelings or where that comes from when you're projecting it onto somebody else, developing that awareness. Like, is this, this is, has to be a conscious effort, right? Like, is this part of your, your daily practice and improving yourself as a, as a human? Yeah, I've dedicated a ton, ton of time to uh, personal development over the last probably decade or so. Lots of uh, lots of reading. I've, I've had a pretty solid meditation practice for the last decade. Um, I've always been into uh, fitness, so I've been able to uh, I've been able to like dive pretty deep and uh, get to know myself pretty well. And uh, yeah, I'm just. I mean, still, I very often like surprise myself, like some of the emotions that come up. I'm like, where does that, where does that come from? There's, I still like, you, you know, it's a lifelong journey, but yeah, it's been a, been a cool, uh, it's been cool, like getting older and learning more about myself and kind of being able to recognize those things. Any examples off the top of your head, like a tangible example of you surprising yourself? Yeah, I'd say... Okay, like as it pertains to uh, poker, and I'm sure like a lot of people listening to this can identify, like when it's not going well, for me personally, it's like really hard for me to be like excited for those for whom it is going well, if that makes sense. Uh, whereas yeah. when I'm like, when I'm running well, uh, I, you know, I'm much more likely to reach out and like <laughs> can tell people congratulations and like be interested also, that is uh, in just in life in general. I would say that's the case. Whenever I'm like, if I'm dealing with anything, I'm less likely to, you know, and I retract in and I don't reach out. So yeah, and and that's something I've like really tried to shine awareness on, like over and over and over. Uh, but it's still, I think that might that one might just be like human nature a little bit. Oh, it certainly uh, is human nature. I mean, yeah, you're like on a massive break even or downswing playing live cash for instance like like me you know 300 400 hours however many hours it happens to be and like you have a friend that's just like buys into the game here's the perfect example i'm like breaking even getting crushed on a regular basis playing against this guy i can't beat him to save my life and he's like buying in for like 30k and like i have the god seat on him and he's just torturing me like we, you know, we play 14 hours together, just torturing me, torturing me, torturing me. I've got to leave commerce and jump on a plane to go back home. And I wait till the, as long as I possibly can to cash out, you know, get, get my, you know, the little ride from commerce. It takes me to, uh, to the airport. And like, as I'm on the airport, my friend texts, texts me and he's like, Oh, I got him for you. Like he took my seat and literally busted him. 
like in the next <laughs> hour. He won like a, a 50K pot. And I'm just like, you know, it's like, fuck that guy. this is like the thought that goes through your head. Like he's a good friend, but you think, fuck that guy. Like why? Like, yeah. Like he's running like God, why, why not me? Right. Like, I think this is, you know, and then you catch yourself and you think like, why am I being like this? Right. Like this is mm-hmm. not the right way to be. We need to be supportive of each other, but I think it's just pure human nature. Like, man, screw that dude. Like, why is he always so lucky? Yeah, we're definitely, uh, the human species is definitely like very self absorbed or self, uh, what's the word? Self-absorbed. Yeah. Maybe. Egotistical. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. we, we battle with the ego and everything is about I, um, yeah. why didn't that happen to me? Why can't I get that lucky? Um, even without ever realizing or, you know, thinking about where we are lucky in life, right. The gratitude that we have for, like, oh, I, I just, you know, was able to live at the e-commerce casino for three weeks and play high six poker 60 hours a week, right? Like, uh, my, mm-hmm. I have my health. There are people that, that in, you know, I'm sure in your traveling around, people die, bad things happen to them. We have our health. We have our cognitive ability. We have all these things going for us, but we, we oftentimes kind of forget um, look at what we don't have instead of focusing on what, what we do have. That's, that's well said. That's actually probably the best example of like way, the way that I like surprise myself in my inability to like, I would like to be able to zoom out and have that perspective more quickly than I current, when I, than I currently do, despite like all of my sort of mindfulness practices. I, I would think that I would have like gotten there already, but I, I think life is just like, life's pretty intense. So you just have to, uh, you know, you just have to try to do your best. I think incrementally try to get better each day. And, and eventually there's going to be like a uh, paradigm shift. Yeah. And it, like you said, like it never goes away. These feelings, you know, these emotions always manifest and you can have awareness of them and you can, you know, that helps me be able to make them dissipate more than if I am just like caught in my own story of, oh, poor me. But I mean, the the opposite kind of goes you know, the opposite happens too, where I had Fedor on the podcast and, you know, I have a question about, um, pain in, in a poker career. And, you know, he said at the height of his powers, he played for a year and he felt like he was playing better than he ever had. And he had a break even or losing year. And he felt like he couldn't tell anyone, like he, he felt like he couldn't talk to anybody about it because, he was already a known entity at this point, right? He had already made millions. Like who's going to feel sorry for him. Um, exactly. So he just kind of swallowed it. And he said that was like the most painful experience of his poker career. Cause like, who's, you know, and I, th- I think that's probably for those of you that have friends and have a community, it's always important to be open and receptive and be like, yeah, these guys that have tons of success, they struggle too. Like they suffer. Everybody that plays poker has <clears> suffered. <throat> And so just being there for your friends is just massive. Yeah, it's a bit of a like microcosm for life too. I feel, you know, with the whole like Instagram world and social media and, you know, this is like being talked about a lot now, which is nice, but, you know, all these perfectly curated lives and like the reality is we're all just struggling, you know, all just doing our best to, uh, you know, put put one foot in front of the other. Oh, we're all, we're, we're all suffering and, and yeah. we're all everybody's afraid to be vulnerable. I think that's the, that's the real problem. Nobody wants to really be vulnerable or put it out there. And I think that embracing your vulnerability is something that 
leads to just so much fulfillment and so much happiness. And, you know, it solidifies and deepens friendships when you can, you have somebody that you're like, you know, I've, I've done a lot of great things. I've had success, but I'm, I'm down right now and I need help and I'm feeling this way and uh, I need to talk about it. Like just those friendships to me are just invaluable. Agree completely, particularly for men. I think vulnerability is, is tough. And especially I'm sure you can relate as a man who grew up in the South. Like <laughs> emotions aren't really a thing. No, they are not. Um, <laughs> it's like, uh, just pretend everything's okay. Put on your, you know, put on your poker face and keep moving forward and don't talk about it. And if anybody asks you any questions, just snap at them <laughs> and say, everything's okay. We got <laughs> yeah. this hand, right? <laughs> what do you think have been the biggest fears or obstacles that have stood in your path um, to poker greatness? Um, I would say, actually, I would say pornography was, was a really big one for me. Uh, I battled with that for a long time and I still, uh, still have at times like relapse, but that without question, like I, I started like watching at like a relatively early age and I definitely, that thing, I think that like stunted my like mental toughness to, to some degree. What do you mean um, by that? I think that, uh, I think that just having dived deep into like sort of the recovery process kind of. I realize how much it pulls your attention, like even at a subconscious level away from just like diving into the present and like really going for it and, uh, and whatever you're going for. So yeah, that, that for me without question was like the toughest uh, to overcome and still like is a battle at times. Does it relate to your poker career? I mean, as far as like you're playing on tables on, and then on like the side, you have a browser window open. Yeah, that definitely was a thing uh, in the past uh, back in the day. And then just like that led to just like sex was a huge part of my life for like, because when I was like in my early 20s, I wasn't like really meeting girls or anything. And then when I sort of like was growing up and got some game, then it just like became like trying to like meet girls to have sex. And that, that was like the new like addiction. So like I really had to like bring it back and sort of uh, rewire my brain. I have an amazing fiance now. So that's, uh, that's like really helped the process. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, sex in like, in like the culture for like young men, especially like our age growing up, it's like, it's fucking insane. What it, uh, like you see the effects of it. And I, you see, it's like, you see how it's changed the dynamic between men and women. Um, so, so yeah, I've, I've dived like pretty deep into that, uh, into that sort of process. And yeah, it definitely affected my career in the sense that, even like I'm more prone to anxiety playing online kind of uh, just because like I'm around electronics and shit, even though I've like mostly kicked the addiction. Yeah. You know, there's people out there. I'm sure that that struggle with this. This is, you know, I think the the one thing that I found from doing all these interviews and talking to all these people is that none of us are special. <laughs> none of us, n- none of these things that, that poker players deal with, are unique. We all tend to deal with the same sort of things. Like somebody that's struggling right now, like what would you suggest to them if they wanted to, you know, do better and get on the path to uh, kicking that addiction? Uh, there's a really cool Reddit community called NoFap, uh, which I use. Additionally, I think therapy, uh, professional therapy, is uh, super useful. 
uh, yeah, both of those have been big for me. That's cool, man. Speaking of the culture, like the, uh, just the cult, you know, poker culture especially can be fairly toxic. What are some ways that you've kind of, how do I phrase this? Built your own culture, I guess, or gotten yourself out of the current culture of poker. Mm-hmm. I uh, I really like living uh, pretty simply and in nature, kind of. Uh, so my routine basically is wake up, uh, go outside, get some sun, read, drink some water, just like chill outside with my fiance. That's how I like to start the morning. Uh, I like to spend a lot of time in the park. There's a park uh, nearby where I live in Vegas. So whether that's like bike riding or frisbee golf, running, throwing the baseball or softball around with my fiance. I just like love growing up in the South. I was just always outside and I just love being outside. Like this is what for me, what like retirement would and like should feel like kind of. Yeah. So that's like, that's the culture of my life now. And I love poker and I love like all the people I've met. There's so many, uh, incredibly awesome people. So I like to have, I like to have that, but I'm doing my best not to let that like, uh, like we were talking before we started. It's very, poker is very consuming. And I've, the more, like when I get in these hardcore grinds and get like really consumed by it, I just really don't like the person that I am kind of. And I don't, I don't have much to offer because my brain is just like only thinking about poker. So I'm really trying my best to like figure out a way now. It's kind of nice with the quarantine and like playing online, but it's like can go work really hard for this period of time. You just have to, I'm trying to live very intentionally in a way that I can work really hard for like this number of hours on poker stuff and then like totally get away from it kind of. So uh, yeah, it's a constant battle to have the balance, but I'm I'm starting to get, uh, get there a little bit. When you say intentionally, can you be more granular? What does that process look like? Is it fleshed out like in a notebook? Do you journal? I I just kind of like to be as much as I can be in touch with myself and, and doing exactly one thing and not being scatterbrained kind of. Is that a problem and for that, you like growing up? It Yes, it's been, it's been a big adjustment just because my life <clears throat> up until I was like 30, I mean, even actually up until recently, before this quarantine really I've just lived such a fast life like I've always been on the go uh when I was a kid I was constantly I was playing sports every day my my uh, sisters too we were always like my mom and dad were shuttling us between like all the parks and stuff so we were just like on go eating fast food and then growing up in the poker world it was like play live tournaments eat something really quick party uh <laughs> repeat you know fly to the next place so it's just like I haven't had a like a whole lot of time to like just sit and chill and like despite all my meditation and like mindfulness practices it it sort of wasn't enough to overcome just how fast life was so uh yeah i'm uh i guess that's what i'm that's what i'm working towards awesome and most people don't realize the struggle of poker and i've talked to many people on this show and and you know i don't play a ton of live that that part of my career, I think, is has wound down. I like the online cash game grind, being in my own home. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, oh. so it's like home games or like Cherokee, um, and I can play bigger. <laughs> I can play bigger online from the comfort of my home. So why am I traveling, right? Mm-hmm. But um, 
I did go play in one tournament and made a day two, which I don't play many tournaments. Day twos are rare for me. But I realized like when I'm at home, I have my routine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was going to bed at 10 p.m. I was meditating. I was exercising during the day. I had <clears throat> the time I was allocating to poker. And then at like 8 p.m., I would start my wind down process to go to bed and get ready mm-hmm. for the next day. And when I made that day too, you know, the, it, it ended at like 1 a.m., which is like three hours past when I'm typically mm-hmm. normally going to bed and I hadn't eaten. So I was hungry and also had this like adrenaline dump. You know, you have this adrenaline right when the tournament ends and it's not like you can just go from the table straight to bed, right? You have to, you know, work that adrenaline off somehow. And mm-hmm. like, I, I can't imagine being a tournament player traveling across the country dealing with this on a nightly basis. Like it's pretty clear, like why you go party, right? Because you're looking for that stimulation. (laughs) You're looking for a place to put that adrenaline and that energy. So like now, nowadays, what does your process look like? You're when live poker fires back up, like you make a day two, you're trying (laughs) to be intentional about the stuff you're doing. How do you manage this adrenaline at 1am and then keeping everything kind of streamlined? Yeah, that's, I live in Vegas now, so I, I like the idea that my live playing experience will only, like my commute is only, you know, 20 minutes. You know what I mean? My, I, I don't throw off my routine. I'm excited to like whenever live eventually does come around and, and I can like safely get out there and play. I'm excited to like have both that and now to be like working online uh, and, and building a routine and just like being in one place. Like traveling is is so awesome and for tournaments like and i'll do i'll travel live for like some of the bigger tournaments like i really like florida and my uh, fiance is from south jersey so we usually go there see her family and i play borgata so yeah i'll play some of those but i really don't like being away from the routine that that long but yeah to wind to wind down i mean it's tough man like uh i'm definitely like it up until even recently like playing these live stops it's like it's tough to wind down and it's tough to get into any sort of routine. I'll usually just try to like read, read a little bit to end the night, but I definitely don't think it's the, uh, the best lifestyle, especially at, now that I've like repeated stops. It was a lot more fun when I was younger and was like going out and like uh, doing a lot more things. But now it's been like mostly all business. I'm pretty over it. I'd be content to just play online for a little while. honestly. Yeah. I, I like the online, even as a, you know, do you, do you solely play tournaments? Do you play online cash as well? I've, I've been playing a little online cash recently. I could really uh, get into that. And uh, you're one of the few people. You've all, have you always been own-rolled? Almost entirely. I mean, I've sold, like, sometimes I'll play uh, bigger tournaments and break some off. And recently I've been, like, being a little more responsible and swapping a little more. But for the longest time, I was just like, I don't know if it was like a pride thing, but I would just like go for it and deal with some uh, pretty insane swings. Uh, thankfully, I had a bunch of success early on. I was able to sort of like weather it. But yeah, I def- like what it does to you mentally dealing with that, I-, I would prefer to just like, you know, not have to deal with. Uh, I'm trying to design my way in a life that I don't have to think about money that often, if that makes sense. How do you go about doing that? Is there is there a process? <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's a matter of like getting used to the stakes you're you're playing. 
that that probably helps. But I mean, that said, live, I like, I still, after all these years, like, even swinging, say, like, even on a day where I swing 1% of my net worth, like, I have a really tough time uh, dealing with that kind of. Really? And so tell me about the how in the world are, did you juggle having all of your own action, but then also struggling with, you know, a 1% swing in your net worth? That must have been. <laughs> hell hell pretty much i think is the word that comes to mind yeah a lot of partying and uh meeting girls and watching porn <laughs> and then going and repeating it that was that was my life for a long time so just distracting yourself effectively exactly yeah i only only recently have i really been able like have i seen the value in like sitting with uh sitting with the swings kind of and seeing how it makes me feel and realizing like this isn't going to change, change too much. I, I think it, it's a bit, uh, I think for me, since given that I like this, this path of my career was such that I had huge success early on. And I think I had, like you mentioned earlier, that fear of going broke. Like if I ever like went broke from the amount of money that I like had at one point, I think that like, I think that I'm fearful that that would like, be very, very tough on me. So I think that's why uh, that has a lot to do with it. And that's one of the things I'm trying to break through. Yeah, the the fear of, I mean, the fear of going broke, it's it's a tough fear. I think most people, I, I've, I've never actually said this out loud to anybody, but as a poker player, after every session, after every time I play poker, like I know early on in my career, it's not not so bad now, but especially early on, when I was, you know, less mature, I was a number in my head. I was my bankroll. And that was how I felt my worth as a human was. And when that number went down to a level that felt unacceptable, then my worth as a human went way down. And I was very hard on myself and prone to anxiety or depression or whatever, whatever, you know, it was, whatever, however it was that I coped with it. And I, I don't know you know, what, is it the same for you? Like, especially early on that number in your head, it's, it's a weird thing to think about, but it's like, it's always there, right? Like, you know what your bankroll is and you judge that number based on where it's been in the past and where it should have, you know, where it could be in the future, where you thought it would be in the present. I can, I can identify all too well with that. Uh, even now I like, like I've always been like a pretty meticulous record keeper. How how would you say are you are you like pretty meticulous in your record keeping? Not define meticulous in record keeping. Like I would like note each session, each live tournament. I would note like the hours I played and like my win loss. Oh no! And like <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I would yeah, like I wouldn't keep track of the hours, but I would definitely keep track of <clears throat> the win loss. Yeah, like I I could tell you like if I went through my records, I could tell you like exactly how much I'm up like lifetime kind of. But I, I actually think that's, in retrospect, I think that's a mistake being like that fixated on it. So I'm trying to like let go of that a little bit too, because uh, who really cares what, like, as long as I have an idea what my hourly is, it's not like I need to like exactly know, you know, I'm, I would rather just like be more present kind of for my poker sessions. My, and, per, yeah, my, my personality lends itself towards, uh, I'm the kid that went to school and like on day one has like all of his dividers and all of his stuff like, and then 
at the end of the semester or whatever, I've just got like pages in my book <laughs> that are like crumpled <laughs> at the edge, right? Where I'm just like, ah, screw it. Like I have, uh-huh. uh, have good intentions of keeping track of everything. And online poker, you get spoiled because you just have a database, right? Like you don't even have to, you just look at it for all the mm. information. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, you know, I know like Mike, Mike, our buddy, Mike Katz, he is like the most meticulous human I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's like absurd. He like goes out to eat and I'm like he's like writing down like his food expenses and I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always I was always shocked by his yeah, he'd tell you he he told would say that he knows like every cash dollar that he's spent, he's like aware of it. I'm like, wow, that's intense. <laughs> Which is funny knowing Mike and how like carefree he seems. Like like you would seem you would think of him as just like super bound with anxiety, <laughs> keeping track, but he's like super loose and carefree. Um, just a very meticulous record keeper, apparently. That's a funny, that's an astute observation that I would totally agree with about him. <laughs> Yo, Coach Brad here, and I have a very simple question. How would you like an opportunity to join Nick Howard's crew at Poker Detox? This is a chance for you to have world-class coaching and hop on the fast track to destroying online cash and MTTs without risking your own money or enduring years of pain trying to figure things out on your own. I recently had the good fortune to go behind the scenes with Nick and his detox crew to experience for myself their training methods and quite frankly, I was blown away and have never seen anything like it. The Poker Detox system is both powerful enough to supercharge your game and simple enough to implement hand after hand. In the last year, they have verifiably fast-tracked multiple players from 50 No Limit all the way up through 1K No Limit, and on average, their players are winning 8 big blinds per 100 on non-app sites across all stakes, with the majority of volume being played at 200 through 500 No Limit. However, this opportunity is not for wannabes or lazy bums. This is for folks who are obsessed and want to do the work so that they can reach their full potential as poker players. To qualify, you must be able to provide a break-even or winning graph in cash games or MTTs over the last three to six months and be willing to play full-time. To take the next step, all you have to do is send me that graph via email brad at enhanceyouredge.com or send a direct message to at enhanceyouredge on Twitter and I'll personally guide you through the next step in the process. Once again, that email is brad at enhanceyouredge.com and the Twitter handle is at enhanceyouredge. Thank you for your time. I'd love to hear from you soon. And now back to the show. What do you, you think is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? Um, I would say just the opportunity to like travel the world. I think I've traveled to like 40 plus countries now and just have all the experiences that I've had. Like this would never have happened for me or I shouldn't say never, but like highly unlikely that it would have happened for me as a kid who growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, that I would have gotten to do this in it had I like followed any other path really. Any specific memories of your favorite places to travel? Barcelona is definitely one of my all-time favorite cities. Australia, 
that was like that was where I had my first big breakthrough score back in 2006. So that split place will always have a special place in my heart. My fiance and I did two separate trips where we traveled two months through South America and then through Southeast Asia, like seeing basically everything. So those uh, both of those were absolutely incredible. Peru was my favorite South American country, and then the Philippines and Southeast Asia. I love the vibe. I've been pretty much all through Europe. So like, I love the vibe of like all the European countries and just walking through those, those major cities and, you know, chilling at coffee shops. And yeah, I mean, like, like I feel super fortunate uh, to, to have done to like have had those experiences. So that's, yeah, that's what I'd say was the most unexpected. What was it like the first time that you, you know, through my, my research, I know you hadn't done a lot of traveling before poker, right? kind of confined to the South. What was it like getting out of the Southern, out of the bubble, meeting people that are different from all the other people that you had met? Because, you know, this is, this question means a lot to me because I'm from Tennessee and it's a very similar thing for me, but what was it like for you? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think naturally uh, I was fortunate, uh, like I mentioned, to grow up in a household of like open-mindedness where, where I was like, I never, you know, really did too much judging of other people or anything like that. Cause I, I had awesome parents, but it was just, just different. You know what I mean? It was like a video game, like meeting all these people, seeing all these different things, just being like, what am I going to stumble upon next? You know? And just, I think that was the drug of that, like kept me going and like made me. So that that's when I knew as soon as I got a taste of that, that's when I knew like I had to just keep going and keep traveling and playing live. Yeah. It's variety. I think, Mm-hmm. there are some places in the South that are, that are a little different, but for the most part, you know, it's heavily Christian. It's the Bible belt. Uh, people don't really travel super far from their home. Typically they have the same friends, the same community. It's kind of like a, a little bubble and just seeing the variety of people, like you said, that believe different things from me came from a completely different, uh, different life effectively. And like, they're just fucking awesome humans. And you're like, wow, like, this is great. You know, like these people who I have very little in common with are now some of my best friends and most favorite humans in the world. And that was really eye opening, I think for me from, uh, mm-hmm. at an early, earlier age. Yeah. And, uh, I like travel and new experiences, experiences should just be like, it should be required after, you know, like a lot of the Europeans and Australians that go do a year of travel and stuff, it should be required for Americans and it would make, uh, it would definitely make this country like uh, a much better place. I, feel like. I, I agree. Like it's almost, uh, we get so tribal and it's almost a badge of honor to stay true to your tribe and to actively attack people that believe different things than you. And I think that, you know, what you say is it's a hundred percent, you know, it's a greatness bomb. People should interact with people that are different than them. People that believe different things and realize that you're not that different. You can have totally Mm -hmm. different political beliefs. You can have totally different religious beliefs. At the end of the day, when you get down to it, to the core of humans, you're not that different. And you shouldn't hate people for just because they have a different opinion or a different belief than you. Um, Mm -hmm. You really really stunt your own growth, I think, as a human when you fall fall into that trap. Yeah, and it... And would you agree that that all, it all comes from fear within us? I think just the fear that like our way isn't, isn't the, you know, the right way. Yeah. Being, being challenged on that is, uh, threatening can can be tough. Yeah. 
you, you don't, you know, I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I talked with um, Anton Wig about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and how it's a very sad thing to live a life and chase something, you know, and finally get it and realize that you're chasing the wrong thing the whole time. Right. Like what, what greater fear do we have as men to live 70 years one way, get exposed to something and realize we fucked up for 50 Mm -hmm. straight years, right? Like this is just, uh, you know, it's a big fear. And uh, again, like, like we were talking about being vulnerable, you got to face your fears. You know, you have to, I guess, just immerse yourself in different beliefs and, and really ask yourself, like, what do I believe? What am I about? I think that's, that was a big breakthrough for me growing up in the South, believing one thing. And then one day realizing like, I'm living somebody else's life. I'm living somebody else's expectations and I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm rebellious by nature. I want to do my own thing. And when I realized that, that was when I started questioning everything, not, not just to blow it up, but just say like, yeah, I tell my kids, I tell my kids, you can be Christian and that's fine, right? You can believe in God. You can be religious. I personally, I'm uh, agnostic, but you can do that and that's fine. But make sure whatever you believe is because you believe it and not because somebody else is telling you to believe it. And I think that that's something that people really ought to think about, consider, and meditate on. That, that sounds like some great uh, fatherly advice. And yeah, your kids are lucky. How, how many kids do you have? Two. Um, they're 11 and 9. And uh, because they, uh, <laughs> the, the whole thing comes about because I'm divorced from their mother and they come see us in Atlanta. And so they ask, you know, why why don't you go to church, dad? Why don't we, (laughs) you know, why don't Mm -hmm. we do this? And, and so really it's just like an honest conversation about different beliefs and, you know, you can, Mm -hmm. it, it is so limiting to, in my opinion, to say like, Oh, this religion's wrong. They're all going to hell. They're bad people. That to me is just, it's bullshit. Like, it, it, it lacks empathy. And I think if there's one thing that I want to, one piece of wisdom that I would like to give my kids is have empathy for other people. Think about things from their perspective. And the things that seem crazy to you may not be so crazy if you look at them from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Well said. What do you think is the most high impact action players can take to improve their poker game? Uh, I would say building a community is uh, something that I, especially is something that I have. I mean, I've done it in ways, but it, and in other ways I haven't kind of. I think having uh, like community and being kind of like what you said about life, you know, talking to people with different perspectives and stuff, that's, that's everything in poker. Somebody can say one thing that can just like totally shift the way that you've been thinking about like thinking about a spot, you know, that you've been bleeding chips at. So yeah, I think having a community and having, uh, I like to have like a very, I tried to have like a very diverse, especially now with online, it's like you have the opportunity to build these uh, communities a little bit. Um, I'm trying to have like a diverse group of, hear from a diverse group of thinkers kind of, um, just to like absorb as much uh, material as I can and, and hopefully I can give something back. But yeah, that's uh, that is I, I think is something I I definitely had a bit of arrogance about me I think in my twenties where I was just like no I'm just going to go at this alone kind of you know what I mean I'm 
I don't need anybody's help kind of a bit and like a stubbornness that, that I've had in other ways of my life as well. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thought process that I think pokers deal with when they're going the, the lone wolf journey, um, especially when they've had success and they know, they know where they're at from a skill level perspective. And you think like, I don't need it. Um, I don't want to spend my energy interacting with other people. I know what I'm doing. Like you said, it's, it's arrogance, you know, kind of mm-hmm. plain and simple, but how, how do you go about constructing this community? Like, how are you going about that today? Um, I've got a couple different, uh, like chat groups kind of, as well as, yeah, like chat groups. And I, I do a bunch, I do do like a bunch of independent, cause I think now you have to do a bunch of independent study just because of the way like the programs work and stuff. Like you, I, I, as you know, like it's just going to require you like spending a lot of time by yourself doing stuff. So I like that in that I like being able to do a lot of things on my own and then get impact or get, have conversations with, with others kind of. Yeah. I guess that's how. I know James Romero talks about him doing a lot of independent study, sharing it with people, the things that he found, you know, basically giving value to other people that would appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. That was real. That was his methodology for building his network of people and just kind of giving stuff away for free, doing work for people, giving it away for free, knowing that eventually it comes back. Right. Like that's uh, when you try to be the lone wolf and hold everything to yourself and don't share anything with anybody. That's a surefire way to not build a network of people that <laughs> trust you and are willing mm-hmm. to help you when you are inevitably in this poker world struggling. Yes, absolutely. When you think about joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I would, there's been so many, but like one that I can really, like, even before I really like made it, I won a, I won back in party poker. You may remember there were these steps to go play the Aussie millions. Oh, I remember. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I was firing those. I, I was a big sit and go player at the time. There were a bunch of us regulars who would play. So then we all started playing when they put these sit and go style steps, the Aussie millions. We, of course, were all playing those. So I, I made it to the last step, but there were only like maybe nine or 10 people who had a ticket to that last step. So we would have to, we kind of had to organize a timing where we'd like, you know, play, play this you know, meet here Wednesday at 7 p.m. We'll all sit and actually get this off the ground. So I remember, uh, and then like, if you, I think if you won, you of course got the seat. If you got second, you maybe went a step down or something. But I remember like three-handed winning a flip, ace-king versus queens for basically like probably 90% of chips in play. I rivered an ace. (laughs) And and that, like, I remember just jumping out of my chair and like being so elated because I knew that I was like going to go you know, go to Australia. And this was like the big start of my journey kind of, uh, that was like, that was super cool. In addition to that, uh, winning the uh, Bellagio cup in 06 at Bellagio was super special at a time when I was like questioning, like whether I should go back to school or keep playing poker and stuff. So that, that was super special. I've made, I'm without a bracelet at the world series of poker, but I've made like double digit final tables. It seems So I have a lot of like super cool, uh, as well as I'm lacking a WPT victory with like quite a handful of final tables there. So unfortunately I haven't been able to like really like close the deal in a lot of spots, but just so many like major final tables, uh, have been so much fun to be at. 
I mean, it's hard, right? Like I was, I grinded sit and goes too back on party poker in the day. And, you know, I would go sometimes 25 tournaments without winning one, like sit and goes. And you think to yourself like, wow, like we're nine handed. And I went over 25 and mm-hmm. you make a final table very rarely. Final tables are nine handed. <laughs> I could go over 25 in winning tournaments. And you start realizing like, holy shit, like there's so much variance in these spots where you need to run good, right? Like your whole career can hinge on running good at this one final table in this very specific time. And skill level, unfortunately, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's not the, the, the number one decider, right? Like there are some, you know, you've never won a WPT main event. You've never won a bracelet, right? Like this is variance, you know, and you're one of the best players, the best tournament players over the last 15 years. And that's quantifiable. It's tangible. So like, it's hard. You need to run really good when you get these opportunities. And I I have no doubts, by the way, that eventually you will run good and like, you'll do something ridiculous, like win two, two bracelets in a (laughs) row or like, you know, like, it's just, it's a weird thing how variance works in poker. Those step tournaments, by the way, they do bring me back. I, I remember kind of funny. I had a roommate at the time who was like not a poker player. I was, I was a poker player. He was aspirational, we'll say. And he was trying to play step up from like a $5 tournament to like the 500. And I mean, I'm not shitting you. He was like in the cycle for like a month. I remember <laughs> he was in the cycle for like a month. He finally made it to the 500 one and he like bubbled it and he was so devastated. Uh, I remember those were good tournaments though. Like they, they had like a 500, a 1000 and then a 5,000 step. And, uh, looking back on it, I do remember like it was impossible to get a five, 5,000 step off unless you coordinated it. You, you would just sit <laughs> at the table by yourself forever. Yeah. Um, oh man, those, those were some fun days. It's cool though. Like just like even now with this chapter, it's been cool. Like having all these like different chapters of poker along the way, hasn't it? It is. People don't, people don't realize like back in the day, you know, me and my, my friend, like we, we played 30, 60, right? Like limit was, that was the biggest limit stake they had on party poker was they had two 30, 60 tables. And I remember waking up at three, three in the morning, getting on the list going back to sleep and just praying to God, I, I didn't, you know, I'd be like 80 on the list and praying to God that I didn't oversleep my seat <laughs> at the table. You know, like you can't even imagine <laughs> poker. Back. There Then there was barely any, no limit. You know, there was like mm-hmm. super small stakes and 50 big blinds, like limit poker was kind of the thing. It's just, it's really funny remembering those different times, seeing poker evolve to kind of where it is now, which where it is now, I am not, super thrilled about but i guess from a cash game perspective it it kind of is what it is Mm -hmm. when you think about pain in your career playing poker what's the first memory that comes to mind uh i would say there were let's see probably around like 20 there were like a four year four to five year really period of live of time between like 2012 and 17 maybe where things just like basically did not go my way in, in live tournaments. And I just like watched my net worth kind of bleed. Fortunately, I like had a pretty nice padding kind of, but it was just like 
you know, those fears start to creep, creep in. Like, am I really just going to like blow through all this money? So I can just remember a lot of, and then of course, like while that's happening, I'm definitely not playing my A game. And I was like, my life was such that I was structuring in a way where I would just like fly in for these big live tournaments. I wasn't like working really hard on my game. So, you know what I mean? I, in my head, like I probably thought I was like one of the top players, but the reality was I probably just wasn't in the field at those times. So yeah, dealing like those were some pretty rough. I can remember some pretty dark, uh, stretches during that thankfully i during the latter part of that i uh met my fiance and she was just like hugely uh, instrumental in like bringing joy back to my life and uh helping like zoom out my perspective how'd she do that how'd she help you <clears throat> she's just like and she's the most present person i've ever met in my life she grew up on a farm in south jersey so she's just like a complete uh like nature person like she's you know, locked in on all of our conversations and stuff. And she's just been like a sort of mirror for me to like realize things I'm doing wrong. You know, and I think that's what, as all you can ask for in a partner, I think that's what makes a great relationship or any relationship, you know, is somebody that you can like grow from being around. Uh, yeah. So just uh, being around her and her positive energy uh, was like pulled me out. Otherwise, who knows? I mean, I may have gone broke. <laughs> Coming from somebody that has, you know, ADD and has problems uh, with attention, especially in today's day and age where we have a bajillion things pulling on our attention 24 hours a day. You know, how did you, how did you make it work with her, with uh, your uh, lack of attention, right? Was it just, you know, like an aspirational kind of thing? Like, wow, this person is fucking awesome. And I, I, I want to be more like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think it was that I, I recognized in her, like, ways that I was like before I got into the craziness of of poker and stuff. I remember being like a super present kid and just like always being outside and being like extremely uh, happy and stuff. And then as you get older and like you see more shit, right. And you like get involved in poker and go through swings and emotions, even though I had like, like a pretty high net worth, I still like, I don't think was like the happiest because just like playing strictly playing poker and drinking and like chasing girls. That's not like, I don't think that really is going to bring happiness. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, just seeing what a life like with her could be like and how I could better myself. That was like huge motivation for me. Yeah. It's maybe we're just getting older and a little more mature, but I think at some point you start realizing like you have these dreams about, you know, going back to Joseph Campbell, right? Like, you chase these these things that you think are important and then you get them and then you realize uh-oh like this didn't this this didn't give me the happiness or the fulfillment like i imagined that it would and at some point in my life i've realized that even fellowship like this even a one to one interaction um going out with my friends sitting around a campfire telling stories these are the most cherished moments that I have in my entire life when I just, I don't have a phone on me. I'm not being productive. I'm not making money. I'm simply being there with my friends, laughing and having a good time. They're my most fond memories. And and that's really what I hope to do more of with the rest of my life. Well, well said. I agree completely. And it's, it's weird because we're just like conditioned by society to chase this rat race, right? So yeah, that's, I think that that get plays a role in all of our lives. 
like, like you said, I, I feel the exact same way. I'm like so high when I'm just hanging out with people, like listening to music. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Why don't I just do this all the time? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why am I playing poker 40 hours a week? <laughs> But no, like I, lo- I love playing poker too. But yeah, why do it? You know what I mean? Just uh, yeah, just trying human connection. I from from my travels and experiences, that's definitely what I think it's all about. And I think again, you, you know, going back to awareness and your meditation process, I, I do want to see or hear you talk about what that process looks like. You know, from a tangible perspective, but also it's when you do gain awareness of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and you're not just sort of acting or flying by the sea of your pants. You do realize the things that you enjoy. And you do start asking this question of, I really like that. Why don't Mm -hmm. I do that more often? Why do I do that Mm -hmm. so rarely? But how do you you go about improving your awareness? Uh, So I can take you you through my meditation routine. Sure, yeah. uh, Tools, anything you can provide. I... So I usually try to like, I'll dedicate like the first half hour to waking up before I, ideally, I mean, sometimes I fall off of this, but I, in an ideal situation, I'm waking up, not getting on my, like not checking my phone or anything. I sleep with my phone in a different room. I think that's super important, but wake up and get outside, do stretching and yoga for like 15 to 20 minutes. <clears throat> waking my body up and, and drinking water. Then my meditation routine is I sit, I have a meditation pad and I sit outside and I've, I've never really like enjoyed guided meditation or anything. I kind of just like sitting still cross-legged for 15 to 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and just like noticing my breathing, just, just doing that. I mean, it, it takes time. Uh, I read a book called eight minute meditation uh, to get started back in the day, but yeah, just sitting and, and recognizing where I am. Cause a lot of times, a lot of times I'll recognize that I'm, I'm more anxious than I like realized kind of, uh, and just like feeling that feeling my heart, like, you know, almost beat out of my chest. And it almost always is a result of like, you know, before or after poker sessions, I'll be more anxious. I mean, the reality is, <laughs> yeah, right. During for sure. Yeah, so swing like swinging this big these big numbers. It's like that is anxiety inducing. It a lot of times it's happening at a level deeper than we like can control. Kind of. So yeah, I do that, and that's that gets me. Then I'm like calm for all of my or calmer for all of my activities, whatever it is I do uh, for the rest of the day. But yeah, I just try to like win the morning. Yeah, that's and it's if it doesn't happen in the morning, at least at least for me, it's less likely to happen that day. Mm -hmm. So just doing it first thing. And I mean, look, biologically, humans are not made for poker. They're not made for doing what we do. And if there's a big spot, like, you know, in a tournament or in a cash game, your adrenaline is going to spike. Because number one, you need the focus, right? Like you need that energy um, to manifest so that you can pay attention to everything so that you can make the best decision you possibly can in this moment, which I think lots of people don't understand all of the little bits of information that is processing behind the scenes. And then that adrenaline spike goes away, right? And then you have to deal with the adrenaline dump. Um, (laughs) And like you get, you get your ass kicked 
you know, you can sit in front of a computer and you are completely drained and you feel like you have been through a car crash going through all of these emotions in poker. So like, yeah, having a way to gain awareness of that, to deal with that is just, in my opinion, is absolutely necessary for poker players. Like you said, you know, like you said, the partying, chasing girls, doing drugs, drinking, whatever it is. Like I had, uh, it's kind of an April Fool's episode with the guy, Scott Seaver, who's a drummer for Tenacious D. And he was, you know, I asked him, why are musicians prone to drugs? Like, why is drug abuse so prevalent to rock stars, right? And he's like, well, when you get off stage in front of 60,000 people, you have that adrenaline. You have to cope with it somehow. Like, you go backstage and it's done, right? Like, where does it mm-hmm. go? What happens after that? And so... People just, I think, in in the poker world, don't have the capabilities of coping with that adrenaline, so they try to do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That's really insightful. I could definitely, uh, yeah, that's that's why I turned to (laughs) turned to everything that I turned to in the past for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're learning. Like it's through trial and error, right? I think it's a a big, you know. it says a lot about who you are that you're evil able you're even able to recognize what's going on and think that see there's a problem that needs to be solved because i'm i don't think i'm being i'm exaggerating here but there are poker players that likely deal with all of these things never see the problem and do it their whole lives they die mm-hmm. without even seeing what's going on yeah um, and i guess to, to each his own kind of, if you like want to live a certain lifestyle and, you know, it doesn't interfere with you and you're happy and you're not like infringing on others, uh, you know, happiness, then I think do whatever you want. But for me personally, I have like personal growth and it sounds like for you too is like, it's just everything to me and I won't allow myself to like not be my best self. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think you should just question, right? Like instead of just doing what other people are doing to do it, at least ask the question, is this making me happy? Is this bringing me fulfillment? And if it is, then great. But if it's not, don't spend your life doing the same thing over and over because that's, mm-hmm. that's no way to live. What do you think people who are maybe chasing their poker dreams, what do you think they don't spend enough time thinking about? Um, I would say just balance, um, the balance of life and like building, uh, building relationships and building hobbies and, and good habits. Uh, I think that's like, definitely for me, that was a thing, right? When I get so wrapped up in poker and chasing, you know, chasing these like accolades and stuff that, you know, the media and everybody tells you you're supposed to be chasing, you know, that you just start to live like very one dimensionally kind of. Yeah. I think, and it takes a lot of undoing, right? Like, Say say you do that for like five years, it might take like seven to unwind from it kind of. Uh, so yeah, I think just like trying to have balance, as hard as it is, even now I'm trying not to get like sucked into playing like all the time, you know, because there's just so much to chase online right now. So yeah, I think just trying to have balance and trying to like set up for like the long, long term and long term sustainability, I think is uh, something I would recommend. And it's it's really hard to unwind all of these things because a lot of times, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So we're a reflection of our friends. And when you start trying to change your lifestyle, 
and your friends are not, this makes it so much more difficult to say, no, I don't want to go out tonight. You know, I, I'm trying to, trying to do something different. Like, you know, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to have to make new friends or they're going to have to change with you. And most likely you're going to have to make new friends if your paths are not in alignment there. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do, just especially as a poker player on the road grinding. You're not just going <laughs> to randomly meet new people in all the new locations, right? Exactly. Yeah, and it seems like I'm sure you've experienced this and like all the people you've interviewed in your podcast, like all the like the more positive energy you're around, like it exponentially like builds versus like being wrapped up in a like in a small group where you just like we were talking earlier about traveling and like having new experiences, like the the more people that are like growth minded that you can be around, the uh yeah, it just exponentially helps out. Yeah, it's like the one plus one equals five. But also one plus one could equal zero too. Like depending on the humans that you're you're spending your time with, it's just it's most most people. You know, I go back to Fedor again. You know, he lived with nine other German players who wanted to be poker pros, and none of them were crushing it when they first started. Um, after a year, all ten of them were in the top one hundred players in the world, and. Mm-hmm. That's not, uh, it wasn't a coincidence. They didn't just randomly stumble upon nine other people who were extraordinarily gifted at poker. It had to do with they had, you know, their goals were in alignment. They were all battling for the same thing. They had each other's back. You know, it's easy to get yourself into a crowd that is very negative. That, uh, you know, you, you know, you know the people I'm talking about. Like, uh, naturally, of course. Never mm-hmm. holds up. I never get lucky. These guys always get lucky. Like just the, the feeling moping and feeling sorry for yourself type of type of crowd. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's. Hard. It I mean, just never. You you look at those same people, like those same people that were doing that ten years ago that are still doing it today. It's like man, that's that's like a hell of a way to <laughs> hell of a way to live because it just doesn't stop. It's just while while some are trying to grow they're that you're just exponentially getting like compounded like down it's compounding downward exactly in, in the other direction yeah it's a reverse you know it's a downward cycle versus a, a an upward downward spiral versus an upward spiral mm-hmm. um what do you think folks spend too much time thinking about in general or poker uh poker <laughs> i i would actually say it's the same for both i think that people are way too concerned about what other people think uh, I know that I was for like the longest time and, and now finally as I've been able to mostly let that go, I just feel so much more free to like live my life and play my game. I think, I think we're, we're just so like all, all of us are so like insecure at our, our root kind of that we care so much about what other people think. And we like, we all need that validation. Uh, it'd be cool if we could just like flip the off switch on that and just like totally all be able to do our own thing. But I mean, I, I think it's just a process. I mean, it, we're taught that that's what matters and that's what we learn and that's what we internalize. And again, we, we get our worth from these accolades and, you know, whatever they might be, whether it be a bracelet or whatever it is, we start identifying our self-worth with these things that really at the end of the day, when, when you do get your first bracelet, right, I'm sure it'll be a special moment, but it's not going to be what everybody thinks it is. Um, right. it won't, 
as powerful or as important. Going back to those four years, by the way, I had a had a thought. When you were struggling, you know, your results weren't there, you were concerned about going broke, all of these things. Did you have expectations while you were applying? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I just like expected because I uh, because the scope of my career was such that I had like success early. I I felt that I was owed this, uh, you know, that that I, that should keep you know. It was just entitlement, really. Um, I felt like I was owed that I should be able to keep winning, kind of. So I I needed to experience those losing years to kind of be on both sides, see both sides of it. And that as a whole has just like immensely helped my game. And like having never like, I needed to face like a little bit of financial pressure, I think, to like actually become like a really good poker player. Yeah, I found found the same that if I have expectations, if I say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to play 60 hours a week. This first month, I'm going to rip off 50K. If I start having those expectations, this is the exact moment where I fall flat on my face and just get absolutely smashed Mm -hmm. because poker is a very unforgiving game. And when you start showing up thinking that you're going to start winning simply because you haven't been winning or simply because you're at the table, like you and I, we're great poker players, right? That doesn't mean we always play poker greatly. We can sit mm-hmm. down and play poker as poorly as anybody else in the right situation. So like, that's something I, I hope the audience sort of internalizes and thinks about is like, if you hope to win, if you expect to win just by showing up, you're going to get smacked down. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to show up with no expectations, try to make the best decisions you can, take it one tournament at a time and go from there. Getting bogged down in those expectations, at least for me, has always been has always done more harm than good. Always, that's a really really good point. Yeah, because then it just adds to like it gives you that uh, volatility in your emotions. You know, and even even if you like do reach that that uh, big goal that you set for yourself, like then you're just going to make it bigger, and you're just setting yourself up for like letdown in the future. Kind of that's. Uh, that's a really good point. Yeah. And it's, it's tough, like with social media and stuff and you see like people, all the like success online, you know, you see everybody's successes with poker and stuff and you just like have this expectation that you're supposed to like, you always have to be doing super well. And uh, yeah, it's a weird, weird dynamic. Yeah. It exacerbates all the other problems we were talking about, right? Comparing yourself to other people's results. And you're like, I'm better than that, dude. I know I'm better than them. Why are they Mm -hmm. winning, winning tournaments? That's bullshit. I'm not winning tournaments. Um, Mm -hmm. these negative emotions, it just makes every single one of them worse when you have, you know, you're, you're playing with these expectations. Um, yeah. If you could, if you could gift all poker players, one book, what book would that be? Uh, one one of my all-time favorites is uh, The Power of Now. That just like being in uh, poker is definitely a game that you need to be in the now, right? You know, every, there's so so many different energies and dynamics going on uh, in in this hand. That like if you're worried, each, each hand should be played independently. And uh, like that book is obviously about, you know, life, a, a much bigger picture. But I think it can definitely... Just being in the now in poker, I think, is everything. So I think that's a good one. And in life in general. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I love things that are just valuable all the way around, right? Like getting good mm-hmm. sleep. 
it's valuable no matter what you're doing, not just for poker, right? And Eckhartolli, mm-hmm. uh, power of now. You mentioned a word that I'd like to press you on, energy. What do you think about energy, especially like from a live perspective? What does that mean to you? At live poker perspective? Th- uh, that I think is definitely one of my strong points and what's uh, kind of led to my success live. I think uh, my ability, like all like the mindfulness stuff that I've done has been like most live sessions that I'm there. I'm, I'm not like really on my phone. I'm just there as sort of like, that's what I love about live. It's just, just like one table and you can just like pick up on the energy of the entire like table every, every time, like try to, trying to sense like what people are going through. And whereas online, you know, it's hard to really like, you're six tabling or whatever it's hard to you don't get to dial in you know and make like what are become much more crystal clear decisions in my opinion live but yeah that's uh, that's one of the coolest things about uh energy and live poker is just picking up on that and uh sensing like trying to use what i know from like my life experiences to make decisions in that way do you have a tangible example of you know using this this information to solidify decisions yeah, I would say, so say, uh, I mean, this is probably, ha- this has happened several times, but just like down the stretch of a tournament, kind of, if a guy, if I see a guy just like constantly on his phone, like appearing, you know, even, even not knowing what exactly he's texting, if he's a couple of seats away, but just knowing that he's like completely like on his heels and like very overwhelmed by the moment, it's going to like, it's going to allow me some like pretty profitable opportunities against them. Just, just having that information. Yeah. You're just going to bluff the living bejesus out of him. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to just start raising in the dark, right? Like this is, uh, I, I think that like it poker is interesting in the interpretation of ranges in that lots of players will believe that the ranges are just set. A player's style is just kind of set in stone. When you play live, you can really see people when they start to bleed. You can see them changing what they're doing. And the interesting thing is it's hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify why you do something against a specific player in a specific spot where you wouldn't normally do it, but you do it because of the feeling you get from them. Um, mm-hmm. You just think they're going to you know, they're going to be super spewy here and they're not genuinely, they're not really spewy. You don't have any historical evidence, but just because maybe they lost the pot, maybe their body language, maybe their posture, maybe you get the sense that they're desperate. You can do things and play above the rim and uh, really exploit these tendencies. Whereas, you know, like you said, online, it's harder to get a sense of how somebody is reacting because you can't physically see them. Um, with recreational players, I will say like inexperienced people, you can get a sense of like, okay, they're about to, you know, they're about to go off like a rocket. Mm Um, (laughs) like you, you just know, right. When they lose a big pot or think like they've gotten three bet two times in the, in a row and they raise again and they get three bet and you're like, uh, oh, (laughs) they're, (laughs) they're done. Um, but yeah, live is in, and even against like pros and experienced players, you can, you know, you can learn things, you can pick up on things that are heavily exploitative that uh, you just can't if you're not paying attention, if you're in your phone and not giving your full attention to the to the moment. 
Agree completely. Yeah. And by by the way, uh, I've told this story a few times, but I remember specifically a hand against Jesse, where Jesse is a guy that's Jesse Yaganuma. He is a guest on the podcast. Um, just a dude that's always been incredibly in the moment, and quite frankly, an annoying player to play against in a cash game setting. And I remember one time trying to bluff him on the river and like realizing a hole like in my line and just he was tanking. And I remember thinking like, Oh God, I hope he doesn't realize that like I've taken, like I haven't taken this line as value or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, of course he, (laughs) he did come to that conclusion and (laughs) fucked my world up and not a surprising, not a surprising thing, but like, if you're not focused, if he wasn't in the moment, if he hadn't been paying attention to how I'm constructing my value ranges, he wouldn't have realized how exploitable I was, which is, the very nature of exploitability, right? Like you exploit somebody else, they have the opportunity to uh, naturally exploit you back. Mm-hmm. If you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would it be? I would, I'd say, so I don't play uh, like live cash around Vegas because I'm just like not going to get involved in the politics and, you know, the private games. I just like, have no interest in being in being inauthentic to people and like uh what does that look like the, by the way because i i'm not in vegas so i haven't really seen that trend in action what does the private situation look like i mean there's games held at like casinos that just like where you that you can't get in basically so yeah i'd say if i could wave the magic wand like all of that would be done and it would just be like people could just play poker like that's what i love about tournaments is just like I don't have to deal with any bullshit. I can just show up and like play poker. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think there's always going to be a place for tournament poker in live tournament poker. uh, Specifically, I think cash games live and online, not going to be so good in the future. um, Unfortunately, they're just every single bit of information that I learn looks negative. Um, on the outlook of long-term cash, which really hurts me. It hurts my heart as a cash game professional, um, especially seeing how it has been in the past. But, uh, you know, that's, that's life. You have to, have to accept um, the, ti- the changing tides. Yeah, and I think just, just, like, just like the lottery or whatever, like the appeal of big money is naturally going to bring people in. That's why the... That's why, like you said, I think tournaments are here here to stay. Yeah, and you can't just privatize a tournament, right? Because it's like you have to advertise it. It's typically to the public, publicly available. It's just almost impossible to make it private. There's no incentive either because you just make it a super private tournament, and it's like, okay, like you're gonna have you know great players that come and maybe some some whales, but the whales are gonna play the public ones too. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would say if you, if anybody out there is investing their time and energy into poker, really invest time and energy in the tournaments versus cash uh, at this stage. What's something people would be surprised that you're horrible at? I'm not a good cook, that's for sure. <laughs> my my girl does all the uh, all the cooking around here. I'm trying I'm trying to learn a bit. I, I guess people wouldn't expect me to be a good cook, given that I'm a poker player. True. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's funny, like playing poker, you realize, you know, after a decade of doing this, I'm like, wow, I really don't have like that many skills like outside of, you know, playing poker or different games, you know, that or fitness related stuff that I think I'm like decent at. Like, wow, I don't really have like, 
And I think that's what brought me some fear with my career about going broke is like, what am I going to do if I go broke? You know, I, I don't have any other like skill sets kind of. Um, yes. But I've I, had these same existential <laughs> crisis thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to, trying to work in uh, stuff where I can try to do a little learning. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to pay us <laughs> anywhere near to what we're, our expectation is for what we can do. We could do things, you know, we're, intelligent humans, we could learn and we could do things. But I think it's safe to say anybody that's been a professional poker player for 10 or 15 years is not going to grind it out, making even, you know, 30 or $40 an hour that other people would think, oh, that's great money. And like, we're giving up our autonomy. Um, It's not as mentally stimulating. It's hard transitioning away from poker. It is very, very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah, it seems like there's been so many cases of guys who've left poker like because they felt like this uh, compulsion to to do something else, and then they're just like right back in it like a few years later, kind of. Just yep. something about this game, and like you said, the autonomy and uh, freedom is just it's it can't be matched. And as many times as much as it's like I'm sure you feel the same way, as much like pain as it's caused us at times, it's still like the dopest lifestyle. Like (laughs) (laughs) when you think about it, right? Like when you actually take the time to think about like what we're doing and how we have the flexibility and, you know, the autonomy to do what we want and you compare it to other people, you're like, yeah, this is actually pretty nice. Even though sometimes I want to, you know, put my head through a wall because I'm so (laughs) fucking frustrated that I haven't won money in like three months straight the sweet side of it is much, you know, it's uh, it's very sweet when everything's going your way and mm-hmm. you're, you're crushing. Like, again, going back to emotions, it's still amazing how I, I started playing in 2004. And to this day, I can still feel horrible on a downswing and still feel mm-hmm. euphoric on an upswing mm-hmm. after, after all this time. Still have emotions. <laughs> I do. I still have. I still have the emotions. I, but that's a part of my humanness, right? And I think I don't want to be a robot. And because mm-hmm. I think when you're a robot, number one, like it's going to bleed to other areas of your life. And that to me is not something that I I, I want to have. I want to I want to still experience joy in the moments mm-hmm. where where I should with loved ones <clears throat> and stuff like that. That that's where I think uh, like having balance. When the times when I am more balanced, like I naturally feel those emotions and, uh, and sort of like memory, I'm just more able to get in touch with like memories from my past and what makes me happy and stuff. I'm sure you feel the same way. Whereas when I'm on a grind, it's like, you don't, you're pretty, like I said earlier, living one dimensionally and you don't have a whole lot else going on. Just tunnel vision. You're just mm-hmm. straight up in tunnel vision. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I hate quoting Fedor so much, but he's a pretty smart guy. He said something else too about removing emotions and like part of the draw of poker is like the magic of it, right? It's like winning these tournaments and experiencing that joy and having those emotions. When you remove those emotions, it goes both ways. It cuts both ways. You can't take out the suffering without taking out the joy. And when you remove the suffering and you turn into a robot, it really takes a lot of the magic out of why we love this game in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's true. What's a, what's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, 
I actually just started kind of uh, a new uh, brainstorming project. I'm I'm reading a book called uh, Bird by Bird. That's a write a book about writing. Yep. I used to be uh, quite. I used to write quite a bit. I kept a blog for several years. I'd like to like get back into doing some writing because it really makes me happy. But uh, just in the first like few pages, she was talking about just like starting with. She's like start talking about how to start with your childhood, kind of. So I just started like I pulled up a uh, word notepad and just went back and put like every year of my life, kind of like, you know, first grade, second grade, like all my sports. And I'm just having this like awesome flow of memories. You know what I mean? And just like, it's given me the opportunity to like text and reach out to some old friends and stuff and ask them questions. Do they remember this? And that'll cue another memory. So it's been super exciting uh, just doing that. And I feel like I'll get, I'll like, it's given me a good opportunity to like get to know myself better. Yeah. Um, and just like relive some of these childhood moments. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know if it's necessarily for like the greater good, but it's like a cool, a uh, cool personal project that I'm going to spend some time on. I mean, solidifying or, or getting reconnecting with people that are important to you, I think is, man, tell me like who, who doesn't light up when they get an unexpected call from a friend they haven't heard from in a long time. <laughs> like who doesn't get happy from that? Right. Like it's true. Yeah. Um, I think is it Anne Lamott? Anne Lamott. Yes. I think. Wow. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Writing for those writers um, out there. Let's uh, actually, I, I don't want to ask that question. I'm going to skip the the question about what your accomplishments are going to be in 15 years in the spirit of the conversation, staying in the moment and having awareness and reducing expectations. Let's close off and uh, we'll end it uh, where where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, I do some occasional uh, tweeting on uh, on Twitter at Shannon Shore, S H A N N O N S H O R R, and uh, Instagram Shannon Shore on there also. No, I don't I don't do too much, but uh, yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> they can find you in Vegas when live poker resumes. Yes. Yeah. And and in the park, if if anyone wants to play frisbee golf, I'll be out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I were in Vegas. I would love to play frisbee golf. Like I would, love to, uh, <laughs> you know. I, again, being poker players, right? It's hard to find people that are on like our exact schedule. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. what are you doing Wednesday at noon? Well, I'm at fucking work, you idiot. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's when the games aren't very good. So <laughs> I'm free in the mornings in the afternoon. Um, yeah. It's been great having you, man. It's been great getting to know you. Hopefully uh, we can do this again in a year or so, catch up with uh, what you're doing. If you have a, you know, a public blog or wherever you're writing leads you best of luck uh, getting married. I don't know when that's supposed to happen. I assume it's probably in flux in the current state of things. Yeah, still trying to officially nail it down. We have a date, but I don't know if it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, better better early than late, I guess. Um, <laughs> would hate to have yeah. had a, a wedding scheduled in like, you know, April. You're yeah. just done So, But mm-hmm. cool, man. Take care. Uh, genuinely enjoyed it. And uh, let's uh, keep in touch. Thanks, Brad. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. 
If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.